Hello, the internet, and welcome to season 149, episode 4 of Der Daily Zeitgeist, a production yeah. of iHeartRadio. This is a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness and say officially off the top, fuck the Koch brothers, fuck wow. Fox News, fuck oh. Rush Limbaugh, fuck huh? Buck Sexton, fuck Ben Shapiro, and fuck Jack. Tucker Carlson because I'm brave, Jack. Jamie, I'm brave. Uh, it's Thursday, I know. Can he say that is the question on everyone's mind. Is that even uh, allowed? A I just did, okay? <laughs> um, so it's Thursday, September 3rd, 2020. My name's Jack O'Brien, a.k.a. Hey there, Miles of Grey, what's it like not being sweaty? I've changed shirts five times already. Somehow still I smell like a Yeti. Yes, I do. My clothes more wet than Mountain Dew. I swear it's true. Hey there, Miles of Grey, don't you worry about my short shorts. Muscled thighs for all to enjoy with pale skin and sweat that glistens. Shield your eyes. Looking directly is unwise at my blinding thighs. That is courtesy of official dickhead. And I am thrilled to be joined by my special guest, co-host, Jamie Lofton! I'd like to make myself believe that COVID will end in 2020. But a second wave is coming and we never left the first. We're never gonna end quarantine. But I'm Jamie. That's a really depressing one. (laughs) (laughs) That's from uh, Will at Ultra Lantern. I just really wanted to go into the nasal register as early in the episode as possible. Yeah. So thank you. Get that vocal warm up in. You sound great. Thank uh, you, thank you. How are you doing? It's been a while since I've uh, been on on a podcast with you. What's, I know, what's the latest in your world? Yeah, so we were in Wisconsin for several weeks uh, seeing my boyfriend's family. Well, like self-quarantining, then seeing my boyfriend's family, then now we have to self-quarantine again. But we were in Wisconsin when the shooting of Jacob Blake happened um, in Kenosha, and then the wave of protests that sprung up because of that and then the murder of the protesters so we were uh barely far a few hours away when when all that happened but um we went to the town over shortly after because that is where my boyfriend's mom lives and i don't know it was it was a i mean it a horrifying thing for that community to process and it's a swing state so there you know it's it's having a conversation with my boyfriend's mom, um, who is liberal, but needs to have difficult conversations had. And then there's the difference of several streets over. There's a QAnon house. So um, I don't know. I felt like I had a lot of my having grown up in blue state privilege examined of, I mean, there's certainly horrific things happening everywhere, but but the way that this community processed it is different because the politics are, are so polarized and, and so that was a complete mindfuck and then on the way home we learned about the murder of Dijon Kizzy um, in South LA who was just 29. I know we're going to talk about him later by the LA Sheriff's Department so uh, yeah just a, a wild uh, horrible time and, and fuck Trump for showing up in Kenosha. So you weren't yeah. there just to see him? 
Uh, no, okay, no, I was like, it. oh, wait, maybe we should <laughs> hang around, kind of see what happens. <laughs> gotta hang. It was um, weird. We we weren't in. We weren't like next to Kenosha um, when uh, the original uh, when 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 the shootings happened, but we were there a couple of days later. Yeah, unfortunately, when the shootings happened, it could mean many different things uh, in Kenosha. Yeah. Shout out uh, to everyone who's like holding it down in swing states uh, because it just, I mean, it made, yeah, it made me feel extremely naive because it's like, yeah, you, you, like liberal state privilege is a whole thing. Like you really have to stand your ground in yeah. a swing state. Yeah. yeah. And even in non swing states like Portland. Uh, shout oh, yeah. out to Robert Evans. Um, oh, Robert. Well, we are thrilled to be joined by the eloquent, the brilliant, the talented Chelsea Weber Smith. Well, I am thrilled. I am super thrilled, and I don't have a, like a satirical song to start with. But oh, could come I pop on. in? Could I pop in with a quick uh, <laughs> "fuck Ronald Reagan"? Yeah. Yes. All right. That I yes. like to come out of the gate hot. So yeah, controversy, That's... right? Yeah. Wow. That I mean, is... a lot of people are going to disagree that listen to this show. Just kidding. Yeah, right. I know. <laughs> uh, Revolutionary. <laughs> yeah, we were just talking about how we need to get Ronald Reagan on the $5 bill. Uh, oh, yeah, baby. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Old Fuck Ronnie. Ronald Reagan. <laughs> um, Chelsea, uh, how, how are you doing? And where, where are you uh, joining us from? I'm in Seattle. So okay. definitely a liberal Mecca, but also, like you said, a big battleground for for Black Lives Matter and everything that's been going on. And yeah, uh, yeah. So that's where I'm at. Yeah. Close to Portland too. A lot right. of friends there, man. It is. It's nuts. And you are a poet, a musician, um, a podcaster, a student of uh, American hysteria. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's God real, bless man. You. Uh, I had no idea how relevant the show was going to become. We started it, you know, uh, a little over two years ago, and we we talk moral panics, conspiracy theories, fantastical American thinking, and uh, it's basically like uh, long form essays that we do each uh, each episode. But they're funny, they're terrifying, they're sad. Lots of oddities of history, but we try to break down these fantasies uh, through like a sociological lens. Like, why does this happen? Not, is this true? But what's the moment in history? What's the moment in American psychology that sort of facilitates these things spreading and and how they've always been kind of ingrained in us and come back in all these new ways? And the show is called American Hysteria. That's right. Appropriately enough. Right. Uh, all right, Chelsea, we're going to get to know you a little bit better in a moment. First, Great. we are going to tell our listeners a few of the things we're talking about. Uh, we're going to talk about the Red Mirage scenario, uh, which is a scenario being put out there by some data firm called like Fishhawk or some shit, but they are funded by Michael Bloomberg uh, and they think what is going to happen is it's going to look like Trump won in a landslide on election night. And then it, as the mail-in votes are tallied, if they're tallied, uh, it would switch to a Biden victory. But we'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about the Department of Homeland Security nixing a Russian interference warning uh, that was supposed to be sent out. We'll talk about L.A. County sheriffs murdering a man, uh, shooting him over 20 times, according to eyewitnesses. 
uh, for committing a bike violation and running away from them and uh, allegedly punching one of the officers in the face. We don't know if that's Such true. bullshit. Yeah, we really... Uh, yeah. Eyewitnesses don't seem to corroborate that. We're going to talk about uh, a prominent opponent of Vladimir Putin being poisoned. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, a guy in a jetpack casually flying around <laughs> near LAX. Uh, <laughs> or a, a person in a jetpack. I don't know. We don't know who it was. Uh, all of that. Plenty more. But first, Chelsea, we like to ask our guest, what is something from your search history that is revealing about who you are? <laughs> well, I uh, a few days ago searched Cotton Mather, Dinosaur Bones, American Nationalism. Um, so <laughs> go we, on. Uh, yeah, great. Beautiful, right? Um, right. It's a really interesting story. We're working on an episode about fake news. And uh, so we go all we always go all the way back to the Puritans and sort of like what started these these stories. And uh, Cotton Mather found dinosaur or no, not Cotton Mather. A man was just walking down the street and a mammoth tooth rolled down the hill, hit him in the foot. He traded it to a politician for a cup of rum. And then Cotton Mather, who's who I call witch trial bitch, Cotton Mather, we know him, <laughs> the Puritan yeah. minister who facilitated the witch trials. He took this on and decided that to reinforce his like scientific biblical shit that he did, he said that they were giant bones and then just mocked uh, England like mercilessly saying, we have biblical giants and you don't. Uh, mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then it turned out In that face, <laughs> and then enslaved people were like, no, dude, that's an elephant like that looks like an African elephant, you know, so and, and they were like, that's insane. It's giant bones. So uh -huh. that's uh, that's the kind of, you know, stuff you can expect. from American <laughs> hysteria. Wow. Yeah. How, now, so the thing that actually happened was a mammoth tooth rolled down a hill. That's that right. That's right. That's that's as the story goes, hit a dude in the foot. And he was like, this seems like something important, but I just want. Some rum. Some rum, yeah. This yeah. seems like a good <laughs> way like to get some rum. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah for sure. Reasonable. Reasonable. Yeah. yeah, absolutely reasonable. The fate. And then out. It, and then they yeah, and then they used it to like reinforce American nationalism <laughs> by saying, you know, we're so exceptional that we have biblical giants buried under our soil in England has nothing. So it was yeah. uh great, great little oddities like that. I, I just I love. Yeah. yeah, and then I got a whole book about it because if there's some weird thing that happens, some academic spent their entire life figuring out how to uh, how to encapsulate it for people that can read academic mm. texts, which is five people on Earth. So, right. Yeah. 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 It's a, a lot of uh, I've noticed philosophy was my major, and it's it seems like oh, it's a prerequisite. That's cool. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why. Know that about you? Yeah. Uh, but it, it seems like it's a prerequisite for it to almost seem like it's written in a different language, uh, a lot of the time to, for, uh, somebody to write philosophy rather than like make it approachable. It's, right. uh, they, they make it as, uh, inscrutable as possible. The, the um, philosophy classes I took in college were just like a nightmare and I consider myself like somewhat able to discuss philosophy, but it was like so deeply inaccessible that, that's kind of what yeah. our show is, is I'll read all these like deeply boring texts and try to make it so that just an, anyone could interact with the content. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
I don't know. I don't know why academia is so out of reach. It seems really detrimental to the cause yeah. that it wants to sort of touch, right? It feels See, like I some wish... gate, gatekeeping going on, maybe, mm. but I don't oh. know. I wish I had taken a philosophy course at any point. I mean, it sounds like a fucking nightmare, but the classes <laughs> I took were so profoundly pointless that I'm like, oh, maybe philosophy. I mean, why not, really? I took a whole class on the television show Lost, so oh. kind <laughs> I mean, of that's basically not? a philosophy course because that show is like so deep. Because <sighs> it like actually really makes you think. But like, what be. if they were in purgatory? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did not watch that show oh. or that class. <laughs> you, just, you took oh, the nice. whole class. <laughs> took the whole class and got a B. That is college. That Hell, is college. Yeah. <laughs> That's college, baby. Yeah. yeah. That's sort of what I was like with philosophy. I started like actually being interested in it like the day I graduated. I was like, huh, I'm going to start reading some of this stuff as opposed to just doing it as a means to an end. Uh, I took philosophy instead of English because the reading was quicker. It was like three-page reading assignments as opposed to novel-length reading assignments. So Ooh, it was pure laziness. Yeah. Chelsea, what is something you think is overrated? Oh, this one's fun. So our next season three premiere is on true crime and how true crimes informed our society, which, you know, is going to be really fun. But uh, something I really am annoyed by is the idea that serial killers possess some sort of genius or intelligence. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if you don't mind, I would love to share a Zodiac quote that sort of proves my point. So, Please. yes, thank you. I appreciate that. So one of like the big Zodiac letters that came to police and the media uh, was actually not about like a cipher or anything like that. Uh, it came on a card that said, sorry, your ass is a dragon. And it had two prospectors riding a dragon with a donkey. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's ridiculous. And then he wrote, quote, ready? If you don't want me to have this blast, meaning he was going to blow up the school bus, you must do two things. Tell everybody about the bus bomb with all the details. I would like to see some nice Zodiac buttons wandering around town. Everyone else has buttons like Black Power. Well, it would cheer me up considerably if I saw a lot of people wearing my button. Thank you. And then after he didn't see any buttons, he said... This is the Zodiac speaking. I have become very upset with the people of San Fran Bay Area. They have not complied with my wishes for them to wear some nice Zodiac buttons. He was uh, doing just merch like you're a shit. fucking merch. loser. Was, you're just I such like, a this, loser. This sounds like a podcast, right? I don't, I don't like. They're like, wait a second, fam. Why aren't you? <laughs> Could you please wear some nice buttons? Sam, I sent you a free Zeitgeist Simpsons t-shirt. Why aren't you wearing it? Yeah, it's it's just like God. embarrassing when you read serial killer, like actual quotes, you know, because Zodiac's like this mastermind and he eluded police, but really he was just like a serious douchebag down like, right. in his heart, which of course we know, but like it, it's just the genius thing. And then there's like Ted Bundy, who was just like, ridiculous in court defending himself and ranting and raving and just being you know an idiot but then he gets this like charming i don't know the way we reduce serial killers i think is is a frustration to me and, and i think uh, i and it's like i th genuinely harmful you i mean to yeah. like glorify it and also just because it's you would think you know maybe perhaps that people would be less 
fascinated by them if they realized, you know, kind of how they're losers. They're truly Just profoundly true, losers. True, true losers. Absolutely. It's not yeah. cool to be a it's serial cool. killer. And you know, also the, the whole serial killer panic, which of course is like such a panic because it's so rare to be killed by a serial killer, but mm. it also really reinforced law and order, war on crime rhetoric and That's a lot like the man like the mother of Sharon Tate was a huge, huge influence in the victims' rights movement, which on its surface is awesome and underneath also supports like very Republican policies. So it, it's just such huh. a complicated genre that we don't really truly dissect. And I'm not like anti-true crime or anything like that. I mean, I was right. I was definitely reading Manson stuff <laughs> at about 12 oh, years yeah. old, you know, so. But yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. It's super interesting stuff That's I didn't know at all. Yeah. Yeah, I totally feel conflicted about my uh, interest in that stuff. I have this loose theory that the police basically talked Jeffrey Dahmer into claiming he was uh, a cannibal, like, because that he was arrested as Silence of the Lambs was becoming very popular. It was almost like the culture manifested the, because he was just keeping victims' body parts around, which is very gross, but also, you know, he was just, uh, it was like a, he didn't know what to do with the bodies of all these people he was killing. And so it was more of a disposal thing than anything. But then he realized what how much attention it got him and how it, it's just so interesting to me that Silence of the Lambs and happened and it was a national global phenomenon and then he was arrested and suddenly there's this famous uh, serial killer who's also a cannibal. Um, wow. That's, yeah. a, that's a theory that I can get down with. I mean, yeah. you know, like John Wayne Gacy, right? All the media showed of him was him in his clown outfit. And we talk right. a lot about like the phantom clown panic that that happened in 2016 and also happened in the 80s of, you know, all these kids seeing clowns and uh, them being horrifying, you know, stranger danger murderers. Um, and it kind of single handedly changed the way that we think about clowns. You know, I mean, right. serial killers have such an enormous. And then there's like Ted Bundy that all these fundamentalist Christians came to like at the end of his life, right before he was going to be executed. And they basically had a conversation blaming pornography for everything that Ted Bundy sure. did. So serial killers are used like so much more than we really consciously notice for like nefarious means. I think, I mean, I think my, where my, the first time I felt my relationship with true crime, cause originally I was just kind of like in, I'm like, yeah, this is like, whatever fun and there's all the examinations of why is it appealing and all that stuff but um i think it was i was having a conversation with someone about i don't know one of the bajillion true crime docuseries there are and they were like talking about it in spoilers terms and they're like i've only watched up to episode two don't spoil i was like but someone was (laughs) murdered like right but that but because Uh, that's how the stories are like treated and formatted you're like oh yeah it's just being treated like it's fiction basically yeah like yeah just Somebody's think about making those, a bunch of money. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's just think making about money. Those development meetings where they're getting like giddy about the twists and turns of a real life uh, you know, serial killing and Yeah, like you're using the, all the same manipulations that you would in a fictional text. Right. I and yet know. I watched so much of it, right? Oh yeah. I'm like totally. I'm like, have I stopped I watching? Stop. No. 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 I just feel worse about it, but I hate <laughs> yeah. Doing it. Right. Yeah. Yep. Sometimes uh, that's the least we can do. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Chelsea, what is something you think is underrated? Ooh, I'm going to say horror movies. Um, because I think horror movies are like, I mean, you've already kind of talked about it, but they say so much about cultural anxiety and like where we're at in the moment that they're coming out and like the, the different genres, like the Satanism genre coming out with like the exorcist was like right at the rise of fundamentalism is like a, a force in politics. Right. And then kind of was the the kickoff to some of the satanic panic where people were convinced that there were satanic cults all over, um, you know, harming children in all of these sensational ways. And then there's like hillbilly horror. I'm really very interested in the shows, interested in sort of like the maligning of white trash and, you know, the poor white person is like this kind of psychic dumping ground for um, racism and, and people to blame, right? And uh, so there's like the hillbilly horror genre with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Deliverance, um, and all of those different ones. And I think that it says a lot about our relationship to the poor um, and how and how middle class people, like, right, like Deliverance, you have these basically hipsters coming in and canoeing down the river for adventure. Right. Um, and then it's like, oh, it's the poor white people that are like hiding in the hills, which is a compelling and terrifying thing, don't get me wrong. But then, totally. you know, like I think Pennywise, uh, the original Pennywise in the book and Tim Curry uh, in it uh, really encapsulated the, the dangerous stranger coming after children um, with stranger danger. And really the satanic panic, our, our panic that our children are being constantly taken. Um, and then even Frankenstein, this is like we did a whole episode called Monsters about basically how the language of the monstrous has been used against us, like people of color, but especially black people and how yeah, Mary absolutely. Shelley's book came out. Um, King Kong, uh, like there's, yeah. Which one? King Kong? Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. That's yeah. that's like so overt, right? Mm. Um, but then like Mary Shelley's book about Frankenstein was reprinted the same year that um, the slave rebellion led by Nat Turner, which is one of the most famous of all time, happened. And all of the language of Frankenstein was used to talk about him like he's broken from his change, the, the chains. They use the actual language of Frankenstein. And then when the movie came out in the 30s, there was all this racial anxiety from the 20s with jazz clubs and white women, you know, being influenced by black men and the whole black men steal white women trope that's been around since the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And the movie had like these two interesting parts where it was like, Again, like the the dangerous black man coming after women, white women and children, because you've got that scene where he doesn't understand and throws the child in the water. And then there's also, though, this like other line kind of like of liberal do-goodery, right, where Frankenstein meets this blind man who could be like colorblind. Right. And he mm. teaches this like hopeless, helpless monster, like the morals of of good society. And so it's like mm. this really interesting, I don't know, I just think we write horror movies off a lot as trash, but now we have like Get Out and we have Parasite and we have these incredible horror movies that that are addressing social issues and, and now our villains are, you know, elite cults or, um, yeah. and even horror and trauma with like Hereditary and the Babadook. And, and you know, just, it really tells something about where we're at. And they're like our urban legends, our fairy tales, you know, they're, they're so vital to understanding culture, but we just like to think that they're, they're trash and, you know, but really 
Yeah, it's go pretty ahead. fascinating too because even with, I mean, even when a horror movie gets it wrong in terms of the cultural anxiety they're expressing, which they often do, it's still like you're saying it does kind of contextualize, at very least, the filmmaker's perspective, but often whatever uh, a prominent line of thinking during that time where. I don't know. On the Bechdel cast, we've been talking about this a lot lately because we're recording our Halloween month episodes of how often, like you said, hereditary. And I think Ari Aster is a huge perpetrator of this issue of like uh, he just cannot write uh, any anything in relation to mental illness intelligently or well. Um, he just fumbles it every single time. And the opening scene of Midsummer is like the most horrific misinterpretation of bipolar disorder maybe in all of film ever uh but it does it is very revealing about who he is and how he views people i don't know like and, and it's also a, a very common uh stereotype that he's perpetuating there and there's a million examples of it that's one that like in the past couple of years has just like stuck with me but it, it it is like revealing of like well in 2019 this was still a pretty popular flawed way of thinking and the way that like so often like monsters are differently abled and just there's so many I mean it's fascinating and fucked up and yeah horror it's like they they really that genre really like lays it out for you for better and for worse man I love what you said about him because he gets so like people love those movies and I just cannot I cannot and I read a quote from him because I did I used to blog about horror stuff and I read an interview from him that basically says he just tries to do the most transgressive fucked up thing it's not a direct quote but you know that that's his goal is to make the most fucked up thing he can and I think that that is such a weird do some privilege yeah thing to do yeah you know like I don't know. When you're writing from somebody else's perspective, you can get in trouble real fast that you don't understand, you know? So I appreciate that. (laughs) Chelsea, you said something about uh, the clown uh, craze or the uh, clown panic of a few years ago. So I had uh, seen a bunch of YouTube videos of clowns doing or like clown sightings (laughs) and stuff. Was that all... Was that all made up because it kept me awake? <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, like, so I don't know. Did you watch The Wrinkles, The the Clown documentary on Hulu? No. no. I just watched it. I'm actually, Gunna. I don't know. Dude, do you know the, the podcast you're wrong about? I don't know if you, it's a yes. great podcast, but yeah. we're doing a crossover. I'm going on their show to do a clown episode, which is like so much fun. It's one of my favorite topics to talk about, but there was a guy, uh, if you watch this documentary, that he made a sticker that said, call wrinkles, uh, and then a phone number, and the whole, he created this whole lore that parents were calling in to discipline their children with him. So I think, and it was all bullshit. Like, it was just sort of like an avant-garde, you know, whatever you want to call it, art thing. Um, but then, you know, it, it's it's a hysteria in that, like, if you think of satanic panic, like, children, like, most of these sightings, and it happened in the 80s, too, um, very similar, but of course it moved much slower because the internet didn't exist, but it was all over the country, which is more interesting to me because it's so hard to spread those, you know, those ideas and those urban legends. But, um, yeah, he, he did that. And then I think that, oh, what I was saying is, is, you know, they all come from about seven year old kids. And when you're a seven year old, you know, you can make up anything like in the satanic panic. It was like their teachers were flying around the room and, you know, they were being flown to Mexico and put in kiddie pools full of sharks. And everybody took this really, really seriously because 
you know, it was a time when when assault and sexual abuse of children was finally kind of coming to the forefront, but then it went too far right. and everybody believed everything that a seven-year-old said. Um, and as we know, I can remember being a kid and there was this whole controversy where these two girls were chased by a man with a scar on his face and, you know, all these letters went home saying that this was true. It was on the local news. It turned out that they just were going to be late getting home. <laughs> and They made up oh a story and it just got like God. madly out of control. I mean, can you imagine the stress of that? <laughs> and then, um, you know, and then I just remember being like, oh, yeah, I saw him. Oh, absolutely. He was doing this and this. And, you know, I saw him in the woods. And that's just what happens is kids like one up each other and then the parents right. find out or they tell the parents and then the parents take it seriously. Like men were shooting their guns just into the woods, just straight up into the woods because they thought they heard a weird sound Seems and their safe. kids had said that a clown lived in a shack in the mm-hmm. woods. So there's what is this a metaphor guns. for? It sounds like a metaphor for something. <laughs> uh, oh I don't know. It gosh. sounds like QAnon shit to me. That, <laughs> you know? That's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Uh, the point about it was a time when, you know, it was being acknowledged that children uh, were being abused. And, you know, after the 70s, where it was just such a creepy decade uh, yeah. in terms of, uh, you know, like pedophilia was like a mainstream like thing. Um, and, but like, it, it just reminds me of the two prongs of the QAnon thing where yes, there's a massive problem with human trafficking and uh, sexual abuse of minors that is being uncovered with the Epstein thing. And it is in the upper echelons of society, but it's not, so, but could there uh, be fair. anything more counterproductive into addressing that than right. Q and <laughs> Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and then you can just like what better villain is there, right? That Q and you, you can't create a better villain than a satanic pedophile. Like there is right. no thing that society could more loathe and collectively loathe together. So it's such it's such a evocative thing to build a movement around because it's so hard to say, oh, well, that's not happening. And so it's just this very, ugh, it's just a terrible thing. And the upper echelons, of course, are just as guilty of crimes against children as any other sect of society. Like, we act sure. like this is, you know, like 90% of childhood sexual abuse is happening by people that they know, that the child knows. And so it's this other sensational thing that's like, here's where abuse is happening. So we don't have to deal with where most abuse is happening. And so right. it's, yeah, it's bonked. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about your myth. And we're back. And Chelsea, we like to ask our guest, what is a myth? What's something people think is true, you know, to be false or vice versa? Well, you know... And I don't know if you guys have talked about this. I think you might have. But just memory and what we think of as memory is so interesting to me because it couldn't be a more like fallible thing. Uh, and I think we were, we think of our memories as as set in stone, like they're filed away in a cabinet and you recall them at any moment as if they are perfect and unchanging. But really, you can you can implant false memories. We know about that from the satanic panic and and Christian psychotherapists that were really leading people into having these memories that turned out to be completely false. But 
I don't know about you guys, but I have memories that I know didn't happen. And they are so like clear and vivid. I have this memory of being shot at by my crazy neighbor, which is absolutely untrue. But I remember it down to like the bullets hitting the tree. And all it was was my friends saying that it happened and me being like, oh, yeah, 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 totally, totally. But now I have this like visceral memory and it's a problem in like eyewitness testimony it's you can sure. make things up with any suggestion if someone said oh i think he was wearing a blue shirt you're like yeah i, th- I think he was yeah. and it's it's just such a dangerous thing to trust our memories the way we do and then we get like the mandela effect you know where it's like you know about the mandela effect i, I yeah imagine. we have talked about yeah that. i'm sure you know we, where an entire group of people wants to like rewrite history to prove that our memories are right or they'll create a whole story like like, you know, that the there's two universes, which maybe there right. are. But, um, you know, and, and so That's it's like so, we're so scared we, of it. Yeah. yeah. We're just so scared of our memories being being incorrect that we'll, we'll kind of like write a whole mythos to. For the handful of listeners who don't listen to every single episode, what what is the Mandela effect? Sure, so? sure. Uh, it's, it's the idea that um, at some point, well, the Mandela effect. To start is basically a group false memory, and uh, it came from uh, Nelson Mandela's apparent funeral procession that everybody remembered that didn't happen because right. and it was a mixture of things like they remembered when he got out of prison and sort of like the celebration around that. But really, like, it's more about stupid shit from the 90s, like Berenstein Bears is the most famous that most many people remember it being spelled Stein, S-T. E-I-N, right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, But then it's actually S-T-A-I-N, and it's jarring. I'll tell you. It jarred me. It shook me, right? Because <laughs> it's like, I remember I remember it being the other way. And then there's like that, that uh, what, like that the peanut, Mr. Peanut wears a monocle. Oh, no, no. <laughs> it's all just all these dumb things, little things that that people remember right. differently. Yeah. Um, there's a great list of them. They're all escaping me right now. But uh, and then the idea that there was a separate universe and some of us came into the other parallel universe right. where We've, it's different. Yeah. We switched right. over. Yeah. So it's it's silly, yeah. but it's also weird because we do have masses of people remembering the same thing that didn't happen and that's just super weird and interesting to me there's also been there's been some i i don't know how current it is but there was research at one time that indicated like the memories that you visit very frequently are like become less reliable over time the more you visit them of like every time you revisit a memory you're kind of opening it to slight alteration depending on you know what was your perception of the event how are you feeling how do you feel about it now like memories are are right changeable in some to some degree which i thought was interesting there's a psychologist named elizabeth loftus that i think i asked you when we first uh met if you were related to her uh, or if you were secretly her um but she (laughs) has done a bunch of work on uh, implanting benign memories in people's minds like that they had been in hot air balloons and uh, memories of seeing Bugs Bunny at Disney World and just various things that are just by mere suggestion the people are able to really like put themselves like put a concrete memory in their in their brain that never happened but yeah there, there's also a study where people were basically asked about a memory immediately after the event happened. And then further down the line, 
And the more they told the story, the further it got. And like basically if they added a detail or something that was incorrect about, I think it was the Challenger explosion, uh, that then became part of the memory. Because every time you remember something, you're essentially retelling the story to yourself uh, and you're adding all these different details. Um, yeah. It's like a memory of a memory, sort of. A memory of a memory yeah. of a copy of yeah. a copy. Uh, I love that study. Family That's cool have done study. a lot of work on this. So, <laughs> yeah, the Loftuses. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, shit. This has been <laughs> one of the most interesting uh, getting to know you sections of the show. I hope so. <laughs> now we're gonna have to uh, rush through the news, but that is fine because uh, everything we just talked about relates to the news in many very interesting ways. Sorry, I talk Ooh. a lot. <laughs> no, it's, it's the you are It was amazing. At, <laughs> like that was fascinating. You are at the Hitler. very heart of the things that I'm so interested in uh that we do this show every day. Because... Well, and that's why I loved Cracked. I mean, you guys were such an early influence on the show. I tried to work for Cracked. Did you really? But it's fine that I didn't. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I'm I joking. Chelsea's avenging. Every, <laughs> I've every just come on here to just shit talk you. But yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. There you go. It's a long con. But it's uh, cool this, to like be here, you know. Yeah, yeah it's, well, it is it's a really long cool con. To have yeah. You. <laughs> it's just at, at first, honestly, Jack, when you put the red mirage scenario in the doc, I'm like, is this a way of saying that Joe Kennedy lost? Uh, (laughs) so that is the first story uh and also uh the red mirage scenario yeah it's like the pelican brief the red mirage scenario um but yeah there it's just a data firm that is kind of solidifying a description of what's going to happen on election night that uh we've sort of talked around um but it's basically that Trump's votes on election night, like the no, the votes that will be tallied on election night will reflect a shocking, surprising, huge Trump landslide victory. And then as more votes come in over the course of the next four days, I think they're estimating is going to take to uh, tally up all the uh, mail-in ballots, uh, it will switch to a pretty definitive Biden victory. And I am unfortunately certain that the mainstream media is incapable of dealing with that sort of volatility in any sort of measured or disciplined way. Nuance? Yeah. Nuance? Don't <laughs> like, know her. They will flip the fuck out the moment it seems like Trump has won. And then Trump will use that momentum to declare victory. Uh, and then we'll have a toehold to delegitimize uh, the the mail-in ballots. So mm-hmm. this is a very scary scenario that they said they based on, you know, a bunch of polling that was done, you know, together. It, it wasn't just like their individual poll. I think they based it on some 538 uh, composite polling, which is scary. Sure. Um, so I don't know what to do about that other than just prepare and acknowledge that, you know, keep preparing the public for this possibility because otherwise we, it's just going to, you know, we, we saw it in a very kind of minor way with the 2018 midterms where it was like, there's going to be a blue wave. Ha, psych, the blue wave never happened. 
And then over the course of a week, as more votes came in, they were like, ah, the blue wave did happen. The blue, we just needed to <laughs> count the votes. Yeah, it turns out. Just um, needed to it chill. Is, yeah. Right. Yeah. This is one of those many scenarios uh, that are coming up that it's, it is much like uh, the Postal Service, you just feel so helpless in terms of like what is a direct actionable thing you can do about this. But I do think that there definitely is some value in just kind of bracing yourself and understanding what the possibilities are. And yeah, I mean, passing the info along because this, I don't know what we can do to really stop this from happening other than understand and not panic when it does. Right. But there will be an attempt by the Republican Party to use those early results to just sweep everything else under the rug. Like There's I absolutely I think, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. I mean that possibility is being underrated by the mainstream media's reception of this kind of study. They're just kind of being like, wow, that would be wild because there would be four days in which we're wrong. But then everything will, you know, come out in the wash. And it's like, no, that's not going to happen. Uh mm-hmm. they will try to invalidate any results that are different from what they have on election night. Uh, Trump will be declaring victory uh, for three straight days. There will be a large uh, victory celebration as the other results are trickling in, uh, assuming this scenario happens. There's a DHS warning that Russia is basically saying the same thing the Trump administration is saying about Joe Biden's mental health and mental capacity. Uh, And when this warning was going to go out to law enforcement officials and more local officials, it was basically withheld by Chad Wolf, uh, acting secretary of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf. uh, God, these names. Chad Wolf. (laughs) These names. You got Wolf. He definitely answers his phone. You got the Wolf. Um, Wolf here. (laughs) (laughs) Wolf barking. It's better than this is Chad. (laughs) (laughs) Chad Wolf sounds like a a character that would be on one of my mom's shows, you know? Yeah. Okay. Chad Um, Wolf. We've talked before about the L.A. County Sheriff's uh, Office being implicated in just a number of white supremacist gangs and... You know, yeah, getting violence. tattoos for killing us, killing people, like just all sorts, all sorts of shit. It's yeah, and they yeah. were two L.A. County sheriff's officers. I don't even know the wording for that. Uh, shot a man who they had stopped for a bicycle violation. Uh, and Which, first of all, what the fuck is a bicycle violation? Didn't even like, know it was whole- a thing. Yeah. Top to bottom, this is just absolute horseshit and makes me so angry. There's no there who gets a they like it's just it couldn't be more mask off, like right. targeting. Right. According yeah. to uh eyewitnesses, they continued to shoot him while he was on the ground, shot him in the back, kept shooting uh they they say over twenty times. The sheriff's officer's account is that he had dropped a gun and was going to pick it up, but Even they aren't saying that he had the gun like when they shot him 20 times. Uh, And they also left his body on the street for like hours. hours. 
hours uh, and hours and hours after handcuffing his dead body. Um, so uh, this is also we we've talked about how we're really seeing like the the cases that are breaking through are only the ones that happen on a video that somebody is like taking direct footage of of the thing happening um and otherwise it's just like the, this is basically as close as we've seen to uh something breaking through without a direct video of it but i f- i feel like the videos we've seen uh tell us uh a lot about you know who who's telling the truth in these scenarios so the the name of the man who was murdered uh is Dijon Kizzy and it just like it couldn't be more I don't know. I mean, like the the LA County sheriffs are a gang. They operate exactly like a gang. Exactly. Um, and it's it just is sanctioned by the law. I I knew a number of people who went down to protest before they had even removed the man they murdered body off the ground. And it's it's there. There's a lot uh, that's already been written about it, but basically, there's an overlap between some of the L.A. County sheriffs involved in this murder and other murders of people, including an 18-year-old just a couple of months ago. And and so it's just, it's not just the same department, it's literally the same people that are yep. perpetrating this over and over and over and then are just staring protesters in the face and, you know, just blocking anything. They were... Um, Shining, I mean, it's, it kind of reminds me of a lot of the tactics being used in Portland. They're shining lights into the crowd so that protesters cannot get video of what they're doing. So you don't know what's happening at all. It's unconscionable that this, it just makes me so, I don't know. I mean, a bike violation. Like, fuck you. It's, yeah. it's, Yeah. So and like you said, there's video like we only see what there's video of. And we also when we talk about police violence, I think people immediately think of murder, which is a very important thing. But there is so much violence that doesn't result in murder. Right. There's so much violence that the police officers commit against you know black men and women that is never going to, you know, because you can complain. But a cop we've seen him have like 20 complaints against him before he kills somebody and and then. You know, and even even mass incarceration and all of these things that are included in policing that we also aren't fully talking about in the mainstream. I know that people on the left are are really interested in dissecting this police state and all the things that that go with our justice system. But like you said, it's like we're only getting like the tip of this iceberg, this horrifying iceberg. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and one of the and this happens in most scenarios that are similar to this and unfortunately there's so many of them. But what what is the outcome of this situation? This this murder is being investigated by the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. Yeah, so exactly. you're just having murderers investigate their own murder. And yeah. so what the fuck do you think they're going to turn up? I mean it's we've we've seen it happen so many times at this point but that yeah this was just a fucking he was on a fucking bike like it's just i don't know yeah (sighs) um let's take another quick break and we'll be right back
And we're back. Uh, and there's a prominent uh, opponent to Vladimir Putin, Alexei Navalny, uh, who has been poisoned. And uh, w- one of the details that's getting kind of underlined in this story is that they used uh, Novichok, uh, which is a deadly nerve agent that like, is sort of Putin's calling card, I guess. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's fairly common knowledge that uh, Putin has people murdered who are uh, publicly in opposition to him. I found there there's at least direct evidence that he's had 21 journalists murdered since he took power 20 years ago, and that's just subcategory journalists. So Alexei Navalny, as far as I know, was not even a journalist. He was a campaigner who made something called the Anti-Corruption Foundation, who was publicly basically investigating the wealth of Putin and his uh, inner circle. This is information I'm getting from The Guardian. His celloist. Yeah. How, where does the money, you know, follow the money? Uh, But so, yeah, Navalny uh, was poisoned uh, in his tea, I guess. Um, And yeah, it was just kind of revealed that it was this specific poison. And I have a quote from one of his associates, Leonid Volkov, who said, uh, choosing Novichok to poison Navalny in 2020 is basically the same thing as leaving an autograph at the scene of the crime. So this has just been such a popular use of getting rid of the opposition it's yeah it's i mean as we were talking about serial killers <laughs> earlier and this is kind of it's like oh this is uh his signature move um that i think is you know used as a warning to other people who are doing similar work so um yeah just uh scary putin news uh r.i.p navalny that i mean it's, yeah bad and this is this is a name that it's like you know who in advance is going to be poisoned or killed by Putin. I I knew this name ahead of time as the person who is probably going to be poisoned by Vladimir Putin uh, soon. <laughs> like that's yeah. a, it's just so <sighs> shameless. Did he die or I think he's like uh, being I- treated or yeah, I don't think he is confirmed dead as, as of this recording. Um, yeah. So he was, yeah, he was hospitalized in Siberia uh, after drinking some tea. Then he was flown to Germany. He is not, yeah, I, but there's no quotes from right. him, so we don't really know what state he's in. Right. Yeah, and Putin has complained that there aren't any cool buttons uh, with his face on it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. In, well, I'm sure he forces everyone to are. Right, yeah, yeah, there probably are, actually. Uh, just nice fewer buttons. than he would prefer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 100% button adoption uh, is what he's striving for. Required. Let's talk about jetpacks. So what is over story? the weekend, two pilots who were uh, coming in for a landing at LAX uh, spotted a guy flying or a human flying 3,000 feet up in the sky. Uh, to put that in perspective, that's over twice as high as the Empire State Building. Um, it's higher than I think the tallest building in the world. Uh, mm. and so they both saw this 
person and then uh you know radioed in you can listen to the radio report uh, where it's just uh they're like there's a some somebody with a jetpack about 3000 feet off uh up in the sky you know a couple hundred feet a man calling himself Jimmy Neutron is is call is claiming feet? responsibility <laughs> <laughs> oh 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 i thought uh, I have never seen Jimmy Neutron, so I did not get that. Absolutely, I apologize. Um, but this is one of those things where it didn't make sense to me until I really thought about how high that is and how you wouldn't like you wouldn't be able to see that from the ground. You wouldn't be able to see a person three thousand feet up in the sky from the ground it would just be like a tiny little speck in the sky that's one of the things that i keep wondering is like why are pilots the only ones who are seeing these ufos when they're flying around um and they're so high up and so comparatively small or can be so comparatively small that i guess you just would have to be you would have to be in a plane and happen to be passing by somebody flying a jetpack in order I, to spot them. Uh, this is a good old-fashioned weird-ass story. Like, why? <laughs> what? Could he, breathe? <laughs> Could he breathe up there? Yeah, 3,000 yeah. feet, you can Science. breathe. Science, okay. You can breathe. Wait, so he was just like, was he wearing a mask? Like, what? He was wearing a clown he, mask. <laughs> yeah, he was, was a he clown. Wearing yes. A Nixon wearing, mask? No. What? Yeah, Nixon, Nixon clown mask. Oh my god! I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't even know what to say. Sure. (laughs) Sure. Okay. (laughs) Sure. If that's what if that's what he says, then it happened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so the ocean is eighty (laughs) percent unexplored and point three billion cubic miles of ocean. The air is one billion cubic miles. So we basically have no concept of what is flying around through the air because it's just like so far away we wouldn't be able to see it unless you're you happen to be passing through that portion of the air i guess is what the story made me think about is like Uh so it's just my skepticism about ufos has been like yeah but we would have seen them and it's this story made me think more about like not necessarily because you're so far away from them and you only have like a line of sight on a very small patch of the sky and only like something that's very close to you. Well, um, if they're that smart, they probably don't want everybody to see them, you know? It's like yeah. the story of the Illuminati where they're hiding in plain sight and like putting all these secret things in Justin Bieber videos and it's like yes. they would want to be a secret. You <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. also <laughs> probably want to be a secret. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm stumped. I'm stumped. I'm stumped. In regards to the jetpacks, <laughs> there's so earlier this year a jetman, uh, a jetman, a jetman? Dubai jetman. pilot, a jetman. jetman Dubai, uh, which I think is a company, flew oh, okay. six thousand feet up. I was like, wait, <laughs> if his name was Jetman, of course he has to have a jetpack. <laughs> no <Yep>. choice <laughs> of the Dubai Jetmans. Uh, <laughs> But it flew nearly 6,000 feet up using a jetpack, but the flight lasted three minutes. So basically the problem with jetpacks has been that you can't have enough fuel on you to stay up in the sky for very long. I think 
There was Jetpack Aviation, which is based in the San Fernando Valley. So I'm looking at looking at them around this story, but uh, they claim to have invented what uh, they call the world's only jetpack, which can reach up to 15,000 feet in altitude and can be operated for about 10 minutes. But I don't know. It's weird. Like there was, I remember the story back in 2010 where somebody was like, yeah, we've done basically those same uh, or similar statistics uh, where they claimed they could fly around for 30 minutes. And then people actually went and looked at them. It was an Australian company and they could only fly six feet in the air. Like, oh, no. So, uh, oh, oh, no. Dude, was that like moon shoes? Up six feet. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, otherwise shoes? known as a trampoline. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm interrupting with my excitement over moon shoes. But remember, <laughs> but they, they are were very like, cool. Remember? No, they weren't. That was the thing is that they, <laughs> the commercial made it seem like you were going to jump like 10 feet in the air, but you jumped like it less was a couple high of inches than you could. Yeah. yeah. You jumped less high than you normally <laughs> <laughs> Right. Moon shoes because... were ultimately a burden. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they weighed you down to earth. <laughs> yes. A reminder of gravity. It was a exactly. metaphor for something. Yeah, yeah. I like that. That's nice. <laughs> a Nickelodeon <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> Oh, Jack, um, you got to watch Jimmy Neutron. I know. That's... I feel like your kids would really enjoy it. Okay. Is it PG or G? That is actually a distinction Ooh, that matters. That's a good question. I feel like it's super question. G. I okay. think it is G. Uh, yeah, and it's all the parents go away, so look out. But then it turns out they need their parents. Um, Spoilers. Good. That's just that's parent what I like propaganda. To yeah. Right. <laughs> Big parent. <laughs> Uh, Jetpack Aviation has uh, their founder's uh, quote in this New York Times article. The New York Times, by the way, this wasn't like from the Daily Mail or whatever. Uh, they said, honestly, we don't know who's working on a machine that would be foolish enough or reckless enough to do that. Um, so huh. they are claiming it's not them. Um, no one knows what to do with the jetpack. Just yeah. That's no a death knows. wish, man. Going yeah. up that high. Playing. Oof. Chicken with a 747. Um, <laughs> Seems unlikely, but I don't know. I'm no expert. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, Chelsea, it has been such a pleasure having you on the Daily Zeitgeist. Where can people find you and follow you? Uh, you guys can find American Hysteria on any podcast platform. Uh, and then uh, we have Instagram at American Hysteria Podcast and Twitter at Amer Hysteria. So uh, that's that's where you can find me, ChelseaWeberSmith.com. Mostly we do podcasting. Music has has fallen away because all I do is read about Cotton Mather and uh, Ted Bundy all day, yeah. every day. So, uh, yeah, I'd love I'd love alive. for you guys. Yeah, our show's different because it's scripted, um, but I hope that it's it's funny and terrifying and uh, interesting. That's what we hope. So it's different than this show, but I think it's got the same kind of heart and core. Ah. Yeah. Uh, and is there a tweet or some other work of social media you've been enjoying? Man, I know this is cheating because it happened a bit ago, but I was in the woods uh, for a little bit on a camping trip and I came back and my partner was like reading the news while I drove and, you know, uh, someone had tweeted, former pool boy describes years long sexual relationship with Jerry Falwell Jr. and wife. And I came out of the woods and like I was 
so overjoyed at this news. Like it filled me with such just absolute pure bliss um, because, of course, yuck um, to not to not to this unorthodox type of relationship. That's great. Do what you want. But, you know, while while maintaining this ridiculous facade and, you know, Jerry Falwell senior has always been on the top of our shit list um, on our show. Yeah. Not just the kind of person me you want joy. to uh, experience joy. That kind of reminds me, the way you described that reminds me of Jared Leto being, like, being in his cult for two months and then coming out and being like, COVID whom? <laughs> like, <laughs> <it was> the <laughs> best. <laughs> that was, I mean, terrifying that he has a cult, but that news item was really funny. <laughs> God, I want to do an undercover into that cult. What a dream. Yeah. Now more than ever. <laughs> now more than ever. Jamie, where can people find you and what's a tweet you've been enjoying? Oh, you can find me in all the usual places at Jamie Loftus Help on Twitter, at Jamie Christ Superstar <laughs> on Instagram. Uh, I'm going to shout out uh, one of my BFF Julia Claire's tweets at O Julia Tweets. It's referencing um, the Joe Kennedy defeat at Massachusetts this week. So she says, this is easily one of the funniest things I've ever read. And she's quote tweeting a Politico, some really powerful Politico spin going on. So it has a picture of sad Joe Kennedy. And then it says, in losing his Senate race, Joe Kennedy III has freed his family from a political burden it has struggled to escape. Congratulations, Kennedy. It's like, oh, right. That was that he was trying to escape. It yeah. wasn't that a Kennedy has never lost in Massachusetts before this week and people can't deal with it. It's actually he was trying to escape. And then Hayes Davenport replied with a gif of the genie's cuffs coming off. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of Aladdin. <laughs> oh, it's just funny. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's all I have to say. Uh, poor Nancy Pelosi. Rough. I know. Who's she gonna clap at? She was hoping that her friend Joe would come on the floor and they could clap together for press. So well. A couple tweets I've been enjoying. People were tweeting this image of Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell like hugging after this amazing series where they combined uh, to score the most points by a pair of players in a playoff series in NBA history. Uh, and they're hugging because Jamal Murray's team, the Nuggets, just beat the Jazz, and and Donovan Mitchell's crying. Uh, and Joseph Flynn tweeted, Mitchell sobbing. I hate living in Utah so much, man. Uh, <laughs> which I think is funny if that's what he was crying about. Uh, and then uh, Barmelo's Anthony uh, just tweeted, I don't know why, but this shit is mad funny, and it's uh. Somebody put a Al Green photograph, like the shirtless, like doing the finger gun, uh, Al Green photograph over the W and Walgreens. Uh, so it just says Al Greens. Uh, <laughs> and that is one of the great pieces of public art uh, I've seen in a while. So God bless. well done. God bless. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at the Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes, where what we link nice. off to the information that we talked about in today's episode, as well as the song we ride out on. And super producer Anna Hosnier uh, is recommending Della Move by Chronix. Uh, to keep that reggae vibe going 
The Daily Zeitgeist is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. That is going to do it for this morning. We'll be back this afternoon to tell you what's trending, and we'll talk to you then. Bye. Bye. Blaze fire at barrel full of crap. Oh, barrel full of crap. Tin them could have stopped. Well, and them shell have a crack on the